if that is uh, it, let's, let's turn to the Lord before we open his word. Dear Father in heaven, we are so thankful for all that we have been given this morning hour. If we take stock, dear Father, if we just stop in this moment and think of all of the riches that have been poured out in Christ Jesus, the things that pertain to this moment and this time, the reading of thy word and the, the gathering together, dear Father, the riches that are available through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, through whom we pray these things. Dear Father, we're so thankful to address thee this morning and, and take account of all these things and to, at the same time, ask for more. Dear Father, we need more. We need more of the filling of thy Spirit we know in ourselves we need more submission and more obedience to that word, a more of a giving of ourselves over to thee. So this morning, dear Father, do thy work. Do thy work through the reading of the word, through the meditating upon it, through the, as we sung, the, 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 the speaking, the silence, the pleadings, the prayer. Oh, Jesus, we need you more than ever. And those of us that don't realize that or are dull of hearing, this morning wake them up, dear Father. Gently shake them on the shoulder. Gently whisper in their ears and tell them it's not enough. The way you're living is not sufficient. For you and for your purposes, dear Father, for, for uh, each one of us. Dear Father, we pray for those that are sick and suffering this morning, we, we ask for thy grace to be upon them, those that are going through difficult trials, dear Father. Thou knowest each and every um, turn and twist in the road, everything that happens. We are praying now to an omnipotent, omnipresent God, a God who knows everything, who sees everything. And this morning, dear Father, we also are praying to a God who is all-loving. And this should give our hearts great peace. Dear Father, we pray all these things in the name of thy Son, Jesus, who experienced everything we went through and is now interceding, who is now that high priest who's sitting at thy right hand with his, the blood that was shed, with the, the pierced hands, and we can look to him, dear Father, and we can have faith, we can have hope for the future. We thank thee in his name. Amen. I'd like to uh, open with the Lord's help and read from the second epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 3. We've meditated on chapters 1 and 2 so far, and I feel led to consider what's in chapter 3. Chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. Verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men, forasmuch as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, 
but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in the fleshy tables of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. I've read the entire chapter of me. God bless the reading of his word. <clears throat> Let's kneel before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we have this opportunity now to spend time around thy word, to look into the words of life. And as we consider these letters that the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, penned to the church in Corinth, we're so thankful, Heavenly Father, that these were preserved for us, that thou hast seen to it in thy great wisdom that the church, even this small church in this big city, would benefit from the things that would be recorded and written down to believers who lived almost 2,000 years ago. How great is thy wisdom, Heavenly Father. How great is thy power and thy knowledge. We can't even fully understand or comprehend it. But Heavenly Father, we thank thee for this word. We ask for thy spirit now to be with us and upon our brother as he would meditate from it. Help us to understand the instruction that we may learn both from the successes and failures of others, and in so doing, walk closer to thee, more according to that narrow way that thy scripture tells us about. Because we know, Heavenly Father, that goodness, life, light, joy is found in that narrow way, for it leads ultimately to thee. We want to remember in prayer now those that are going through great difficulties and trials. We're especially mindful of those that have chronic conditions, 
even in our own midst. Uh, we know that there are those who have recently had surgeries and uh, even as our friend Harry is at home recuperating, we pray, Heavenly Father, that thou would grant him a speedy and complete recovery, that he would reattend here uh, in, our, in our fellowship and would also hearken to the voice uh, of mercy that calls each one that's gathered under the hearing of thy word. We want to offer special prayers now for our sister Elizabeth, that as she's received this troubling diagnosis, that thou grant her both peace and assurance that nothing happens outside of thy will, nothing happens beyond thy attention. All things ultimately will work for our good if we will seek thee and trust thee and go in thy ways. And so Heavenly Father, we would ask that thou wouldst be with her, be with the uh, doctors who will perform the operation as well, Heavenly Father, and my, may thy name be glorified in all of this. Grant our sister peace as she would face this daunting um, procedure and we pray Heavenly Father that thou provide exactly what she needs in the way that she would need it. Help us to remember to lift her in prayer often unto thee. We want to pray for those that have chosen not to attend Heavenly Father. Our thoughts and our prayers go out to them as well for we know that we need to come under the preaching of thy word that thou uh, Lord Jesus when thou, when thou dost ascend into glory did not leave us alone, but left for us not only the comforter that would be inside of us, but also the church, thy body, here. And so, Heavenly Father, we would pray that each one who has chosen to absent themselves from thy word would realize that they are neglecting Christ's provision that he has left for each one of us. Heavenly Father, be with our church here in Toronto. Help it to prosper, to be in spiritual health, to grow in both experience and faith, and also in number, Heavenly Father. And we promise to give thee all thanks and praise, for thou alone art worthy. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Come with me for a moment in your mind and stand with me at the foot of Mount Sinai. As we read in, in the book of Exodus, picture the sight, what you hear, as you're standing before this mountain that is smoking, surrounded by thunderings and lightnings, uh, a thick cloud, Exodus records there was a sound of a trumpet and it was, I imagine in my, in my mind's eye, like a, a single tone and just getting louder and louder and louder. And this whole mountain is, is shaking, literally shaking with the very presence of God. It says God came down on that mountain. What a sight that must have been. Oh, the, the, the people, it says in, in Hebrews, the commentary, Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Now, imagine as you stand there, you hear the voice of God calling Moses to come up. That's Exodus, if you read it, chapter 19. And Moses heads up the mountain. Picture as he comes down, that's the second time, from that mountain with tablets of stone 
and his face, as, as Apostle Paul refers to in this chapter, is so bright that you can't look at it. It's very uncomfortable, very awkward to look at his face. Isn't that glorious? Wouldn't that be glorious? Wouldn't that just fill you with awe and dread to see that sight, to experience that? Now, let's compare that with this morning, this room here, the quietness of it. I hope it's not drowsiness. I hope people are awake. But the quietness and the calmness, the, the thing we do every Sunday, sit in the benches with... Look at the, the minister in this case, myself with my own dull physical face. It's quite a contrast, right, to what the children in the Old Testament experienced as they stood at that Mount Sinai. This is, seems like it's not even the same league for comparison for glory and awesomeness. And yet what we read in Paul's epistle in this chapter Paul is, in effect, he's saying that what's happening this morning, what can happen this morning, is more glorious and more awe-inspiring than what the children of Israel experienced at Mount Sinai. What is that? What, what, what is happening this morning that, that I would say that, that Apostle Paul is saying that? Simply this. This morning, what can happen is the ministration, the giving of God himself, of God's Holy Spirit in the hearts of those that hear the New Testament, the gospel preached. And this, if you really understand all of what is written from the Old Testament to the New, you will see that this is indeed more glorious than being in front of a smoking mountain that, that fills you with terror and dread. My question this morning is, is the veil perhaps still in the heart? That we don't see the spiritual reality, the glory that can be this morning as we read this word of life? Or are we still, we have a veil in our heart and we're looking for the physical, the tangible. I want to see something. I want to touch something. I, I think that's really where it's at. That's where my faith will, will grow. I pray this morning the Lord would take away the veil where that veil has come up in our hearts, where we're looking again at the physical, where we do, don't see God's will and purpose, and we could see the glory that is available this morning through the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the giving of the Spirit of God, through the simple preaching of the Word, through the preaching of Jesus Christ, of Him crucified, and the power that is in that. Indeed, that is more glorious and Apostle Paul gives a number of reasons in this, in this chapter for that. Why this is more glorious. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? Verse 8. There's a, a few reasons that I can see here in this passage. Why the New Testament, what is being preached this morning, is more glorious than what the children of Israel received The first one is the permanence of it. Simply put, the Old Testament was done away with. There was an end to it. It closed, which glory was to be done away. There was a, a finite purpose and time, not that God is not done with his children Israel, and we heard that in an afternoon sermon last Sunday about Zechariah from the, from the 
the prophecy of Zechariah. God has a purpose for his children in Israel, but the Old Testament and the giving of the law was for a specific purpose, and its glory was completed. Where's the temple now? Where is the, all of the, the instructions that God gave to Moses of the pattern of the things he saw on the mount? Where is that now? It's, it's nowhere to be found. It's been destroyed. The Jews just have a wall, a section of a wall in Jerusalem that's just the edge of the temple mount. They can't even go on the mount that God appointed for his, his temple uh, without serious repercussions to, to pray there. It's, it's, it's not allowed. They just have a, a, blo- a wall full of blocks that they can pray in. The glory is done away. The glory of the New Testament is forever and ever and only grows It only grows as more people join it. I'm I'm thinking of, you know, that the comparison between that trumpet that they heard, the sound of the the voice of the trumpet that they heard in Mount Sinai, that single note, to me it would be like an alarm or something like that. You hear it and it seems to be getting louder and it's just more pressing and alarming. It gets you more agitated. Compare that with a song, uh, a a song that only grows in beauty and complexity and, and added voices and um, even its form. It only um, expands and grows outward. And that's the New Testament. That is the, the, the Jesus is the, is the first of many. He's bringing many sons to glory. It's, it's, a, it's a song that only grows with time. That is the, 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 the difference in glory between the Old Testament, its, its ending, closed, it was finished, and the New Testament, which only grows, grows from a little seed, grows from a, just a, a, a few words shared between neighbors. That is the start of something. Ears are opened. People hear the gospel. Their lives are changed and transformed, and then they spend all eternity praising God for his grace in Jesus. This is a glory that only grows and will only get more and more and more. That's, that's what Paul talks about here. The glory that excelleth For even that which was made glorious, the Old Testament, had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth, that surpasses it in every way. This is one of the reasons I see that what we have this morning and what we are to look into this morning is more glorious than, uh, more awe-inspiring than what was at Mount Sinai. And why? Why is that? Why is this, why is the Old Testament limited? Its glory was done away. Well, simply put, the second reason I can see here is that was a ministration of death, ministration of condemnation. It did not bring life. God's purpose in it was not, uh, he said, if, if you do them, you'll, just, you'll live by them, the law. There was no hope for life. And, and to read the account starting Exodus 19 and then get all the way to, to 34, and you see, indeed, it did not bring life. The first time Moses went up into the mount and, and the children of Israel saw all this amazing sight, they, in the space of, I assume, less than 40 days, they turned around and said to Aaron, make us a, a golden cap, make us a, a gods. We don't know what's happened to Moses. We, we're tired of waiting. There, nothing had changed. And, and even as they made all the promises, we will do it, we will obey, God told them through his servants. No. You won't. You'll come up against your own sin. You will realize 
that you cannot, that you are under death. And that was the purpose of the law. The, the law was not evil. Um, it wasn't a, a mistake, but it was to show how exceedingly sinful we are and how separate, how far we are from God. And in that, for that reason, the law still works today. It still has its effect. My friend outside of Christ, try to do these things contained here. Try to, to live by them as a law. I'm going to live up to this. I'm going to try to do it without the power of the Spirit. And you will see, you will have the ministration of death. It will, Romans 7 says, it will get only more, worse and worse as you become more and more aware of your inability. I can't do it. I can't do it. The good that I would, I do not. And the, and the, the bad things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. So the Old Testament was a ministration of, of death, of condemnation. Whereas the New Testament is a ministration of life. It brings life. It gives life. Hebrews 7 says, There is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect. But the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. The New Testament brings life. It's the difference between death and life, that kind of glory. That's the difference between the children standing at Mount Sinai and us this morning. Our life is offered to you, my friend. Abundant life to you, my brother and sister, who are struggling. That's what's offered this morning, too, through the Spirit. This is indeed more glorious So often, you see it even in the New Testament, the encounters with Jesus. And after he did amazing things, miracles that could not be explained. After seeing that, people rejected, turned away, refused. The outward, just seeing something without faith, does not doesn't doesn't do anything. It has to be in here that life is. engendered and enkindled by God. It's not something external imposed. It's not you have to go through some, some uh, um, experience, some amazing experience, and that's going to change you, and now you're going to be made spiritually alive. No, it is ultimately every conversion experience, every um, encounter with God is in here, ultimately. It's not out there. It's not the exterior circumstances. And so, brother and sister, let me remind you of that, too, this morning hour. It's the, it's the the geography of the heart, the, the map of your spirit that really matters in your, in your walk with the Lord. Not the physical things you, you did or, or, or checked off. You could do all those things and still have nothing. You could have everything right and perfect and have a nice life and still be dead man's bones inside. That's the difference in glory we're talking about between the Old Testament and the New Testament this morning. A, a glory that's external and, and ultimately didn't do anything for them in their hearts. They were idolatrous. They didn't change. They only went one way as a nation. And a glory that brings real life and new life. And how does the New Testament do this? That's the third thing I see here. Why the New Testament glory, the glory of this morning, is more 
excels the glory of the children of Israel as they were standing at Mount Sinai. That third reason is the New Testament really reveals who God is in a way that was hidden in the Old Testament that they didn't know, they didn't see. It's revealed in Christ Jesus. That is who we are preaching this morning. And that is the ultimate reason why this morning is more glorious. Every morning after he died and rose again is more glorious than all of the the wonders that the children of Israel experienced that they went through. You think of them going through the through the, the, the Red Sea and, and experiencing the manna, the feeding, the daily feeding provision in the desert where there was manna every morning covering the ground except on the Sabbath. Wow, that's amazing. And you think, oh, I'd love to experience that. I'd love to see the hand of God, to hear his voice. You are standing on this side of the cross, on this side of the empty tomb. You have something far more glorious. You now know who God truly is. He is fully revealed to you in Christ Jesus. Isn't that glorious? Shouldn't that fill your heart with thanks this morning? That is how new life is administered. Through Jesus Christ, through the preaching of Jesus Christ. Really, the theme of all of this chapter is what ties all these things together. The permanence of, of, of... of the New Testament, its um, life-giving properties, its uh, full revelation of, of who God is, is through the theme of this chapter, the Spirit. These are things are only experienced by the Spirit. And that's the difference this morning hour, my friend, outside of Christ, between being fed, seeing the glory of this moment and, and of, the, of the, what is preached and what is spoken on and not seeing it. It's the difference is the Spirit. It's not something physical that you can receive. It's not something biological or chemical that happens in your brain. It is the spirit. And you know, everyone intuitively knows that man is more than just flesh and blood. Even the people, the, 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 the hardcore atheists, the one who say this is all there is and there's nothing more, they know man is. I heard a brother say once, I don't believe it. Deep down, I don't believe it. Even though they may say these things, they know within themselves that man is made for more. We are not just a piece of meat here to get what we can and then wither away and die, and that's no more of us. We are more. And that is the ministration that's spoken of this morning hour. That's the, 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 the activity that we are doing now, the activity, the ministration of the Spirit of God, that part of us which is not temporary, which is not affected by the decaying of our bodies or uh, whatever it may be. That is the eternal nature of, of what we think on, on, on what we experience this morning. And every morning, every day, ought to be every day for the Christian. It is the Spirit. The Spirit that, that allows us to see the eternal nature of this and that allows us to experience life and fully encounter God. Let's read those last two verses here, this chapter. Now the Lord is that Spirit. See, this is... 
the truth. God is of this substance. He is not a man. He is not a physical being. You can make a statue of him. He's like that. He looks like that. God is a spirit, and he, out of nothing, out of no physical thing, he created this whole world because he is that spirit. And this is the ultimate reality about life. This is the thing that is internal. Not even this earth that we think, how long has it been here? And, and scientists make all these guesses, and I don't believe them. Even this earth. The ultimate spiritual reality comes from the Lord who is that spirit. And this is who we encounter through the gospel, through the preaching of his word, through the submitting to him. And where the spirit of the Lord is, not just encounter, we don't just encounter this spirit. He, through the promise of Jesus Christ, comes and lives inside us, permeates our spirit, that part of us which is not tangible, which we can't put up and say, this is the part where God lives in me. No, no, no. He permeates my spirit. And when that happens, there is real freedom. And the, and the, the bondage and the, and the sin falls away. But we all, verse 18, think about that. In the Old Testament, one man went up to encounter God. One man did have a, and he said, show me your glory. He said, show me thy glory in, I think it's Exodus 32, 32 or 34. God did show him something. He did, said, you can't see me and who I really am completely and live. I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock, cover my hand with you, and I will pass by and I will declare my name. And God did show him some of his glory. And that was just one man. And he was physically altered by that. But we all now have a chance to experience God in a more complete way than Moses did in the mount. Can you imagine that? We have an opportunity. We all, each one, through the Spirit, through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, have a way to experience God more completely than Moses did. But we all, with open face, and he says, beholding as in a glass, in a mirror, you know those old times, those mirrors or, or uh, reflective, reflective services, they weren't perfect. We don't, um, we see the, glo the glory of God, but it's a matter of studying it, beholding it, looking at it. It's not the preaching, one preaching of one sermon, one time that's going to, 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 to let you experience this glory of the New Testament. Since I was changed, that's it, I walk away and... and, and I'm done with that. It's as I behold the glory of the Lord is in the glass. As I study it, as I look at it, I am changed from glory to glory. This is the glory of the New Testament. As I behold it, as the Spirit of God works in me, transforms me, changes me, this is the glory. That's why we do what we do. Meet week after week. Have the Word of God preached. Listen to it. Day after day, open it in the morning, maybe, hopefully, before we set about our tasks of the day or at the, at the night when, before we go to bed, because we want to behold the face 
of the Lord. And not only just to see his glory, but to be changed into the same image, to be changed and transformed. This is the glory of the New Testament. It never could bring life, the Old Testament. That awesome sight at Mount Sinai, that thundering, that smoking, couldn't do anything ultimately in the hearts. But this, what we have here, is a glorious thing, and it is only even as by the Spirit of the Lord. It won't be a physical thing. It won't be something that, that an experience I can um, give you physically. It is God himself. I neglected the first six verses of this chapter. I'd like to go back to them now and consider a little bit on them because it seems they make more sense now to me in the light of this, what we've meditated upon, the New Testament, the glory of the New Testament versus the Old, the glory of the Spirit versus the letter. And Paul says at the beginning of this chapter, do we begin again to commend ourselves or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? A little background here, as you may remember, church in Corinth was giving there were some there giving Paul a hard time. Maybe there were, there certainly there were opponents there that opposed Paul. Maybe these are the people that were false apostles as referred to in chapter 11 of this letter. And maybe even, I'm speculating a little bit here, maybe even these false apostles had letters of commendation. And you can read in other, the Acts and in, in other epistles. That was a common practice of the time, you know. Before we had the New Testament written down, wanted a recommendation. Okay, this is from the saints at Jerusalem. They say this brother is, they certify this brother. You can listen to what he has to say. And maybe they were misusing that. Maybe God. Letters out of context, or I don't know. And Paul's saying, do, do I need some sort of letter of commendation to you to, 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 for you to accept my apostleship? He says, no. If you want a letter of con- commendation, look in your own hearts. Look what God has done by the Spirit. And you know what I take from this? I take that Paul did not um, take confidence in his position, in, his, in his, the title that he had as an apostle. He didn't say, this is how you know an apostle, it's official. I have my, my, my letters here, my degrees. He said, no, no. My certification is the Spirit, the Spirit working in you. This is what gives the stamp to me. And I think for myself, could I be tempted to take comfort in my position, in my title, my role? Does that certify me as a, a, a follower of Jesus Christ? Or is it the work of the Spirit, not only in my heart, but in your hearts? That's the difference between the letter versus the Spirit. That's the difference between the Old Testament versus the New Testament. It's spiritual. You are declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. And this is what I really ought to be interested in, not a a position or a degree or um, some other official certification, but in the work of the Spirit in my heart and in the work of the Spirit in your hearts. 
Paul says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. And that is a good place to, 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 to end this thought here. He is the one that enables us to fulfill any role, to walk. It's his spirit that allows us to live in a way that, that uh, fulfills all of the righteousness in the Old Testament, all of the things, God's character that he declared as we have, have been going through recently in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Christ said, you know, I, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. And this is done through the spirit through a heart, I, and here's the other passage, maybe we'll close on this, in Romans 8, life in the Spirit. You want to ex- experience or understand more about this glorious life in the Spirit? Read Romans chapter 8. And let me just pick up, read a, a few verses here. After verse 29, after he said, it's God's plan to conform each of us to the image of, of, of his Son, as we said in the, the last verse of the chapter we had read, um, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Then skipping down to verse 31. Here's the reflection. Here is the response. Here is the place to start when we feel, when we know we are not walking in the Spirit. Brother and sister, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, Who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If you're not feeling the glory of the New Testament this morning or any morning or any day going forward, start at this place, please. He that spared not his own son, Will he not freely give us all things? Through the Spirit, I have it all. I can experience that glory through the Spirit, not through my feelings, not through uh, the the physical uh, surroundings or whatever, but through the Spirit I can experience that rich life. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. This is how we again come back to life in the Spirit, by realizing where Christ is now, at the right hand of God. May the Lord bless this reading of his word and meditating upon it. May he help us to see this morning that what we have not just contained in the, in, the, in the pages of the New Testament, but what we have here through faith and belief in Christ is more glorious, far more glorious than standing in front of a smoking mountain and seeing an awesome sight, seeing the glowing face of a man coming down from it. May he help us to see that, to believe it, and experience that life in the Spirit, to experience that liberty in the Spirit, to be changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. As we were listening to the word this morning, my thoughts went to a passage of scripture found in Exodus.
the 33rd chapter. I'd like to read a portion of it. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Think about that for a moment. Moses, the man of God of whom it says that he speaks face to face with God as a, as a man would speak with his friend, says to God, show me thy glory. Think about what Moses had already seen. The Red Sea parted, the ten plagues in Egypt. He saw the glory of Pharaoh's courts crumble before the power of an awesome, invisible God. And it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. He still wanted more. He said, show me thy glory. You may think that if God was to show you a miracle, that that would be enough. That would move you from unbelief to faith. That would clear up any doubt. I can tell you on the authority of God's word that that's not true. It says in John, and though he did so many miracles among them, yet did they not believe. Ask yourself, doesn't that sort of fit with human experience? When something happens, what's the nature of man? Isn't it to be skeptical? And even Moses, who saw all of that glory, at the end he says, show me thy glory. What did he really mean? It wasn't an expression of unbelief. But I think Moses was telling us the key to why the glory of the New Testament is so much greater than that of the Old. It's simply this. Nothing will satisfy except for God himself. Until you come to an intimate, personal knowledge of God, you will not be satisfied. That is the only thing that satisfies. The scripture tells us that God has put the world or eternity in our hearts, and therefore we are never satisfied until the eternal fills us. Now, that request, show me thy glory, that was to see God, 
God says to him, and he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. This next portion that I'm going to share, if it helps you, wonderful, praise God for that. If it doesn't, just simply ignore it. This is only my own thoughts. But grant me a moment to share this with you. One of the most seemingly cruel things in Scripture is the fact that Moses, the man of God who had such an intimate relationship with God himself, traveled through the wilderness with these people that were rebellious and backsliding, that he himself was barred from the promised land. It seems like unnecessary punishment, but that's not the way I see it. I think there's more to it. There was one request in Moses' life that was greater than even seeing the promised land. He voiced it here. He said, show me thy glory on top of the mount. He asked to see God, and God says, no one sees my face and lives. Once you see me, you must pass over into the next realm. And Moses besought the Lord that he would travel with him, that he would be able to go with the, 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 the children of Israel into the promised land to see it himself. And, and God says, stop asking me about that. Go up into the mountain, and I will show you there. And he sees the promised land. It's all laid out before him in its beauty. And it, Scripture simply tells us that Moses died there. And we read later on in the New Testament that he was buried there as well, and no man knows where his grave is. It says the Lord buried him. How did Moses' life end? We don't know for sure, and this is where my speculation comes in. I think that God showed Moses something better than entering into a physical promised land. He showed him ahead of time what that glory really was going to be. He finally got his wish to see his Lord face to face, and so his life ended. Because nothing can top that. There can be nothing better. No promised land here on earth, no miracle, Nothing will ever top the experience of that oneness, that intimate relationship that we can enjoy with God himself through his Son. You will be satisfied with nothing less. This world will be unfulfilling and empty for you with anything less than that. Ask God, show me thy glory. You can experience it. On this side of the cross, we have access to him in a way that no one in the Old Testament saw until they passed through this life into the next and could meet God face to face in a glorified body. Remember that when you're tempted to go running after the things of this world. Or remember that for those that still teeter on the fence and think that if they could just see one miracle or if they could just experience something that that would change. You have everything you need now to experience God. And that only will satisfy you. Seek for that alone. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said. Amen. This concludes our service.